of course, as always, questions and comments are welcome. To start, I want you to turn to two different Bible verses. And if you're not um, adept at chasing down Bible verses, don't worry. The grading scale is on a curve here. But if you want to just write down these addresses and go to them later, you can do that as well. The first one is Galatians chapter 5, and the second one is Colossians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 5, and then Colossians chapter 3. So these are both New Testament books. Is this loud enough? I feel like I'm screaming. Um, These are both New Testament books. And incidentally, they're both written by the Apostle Paul. Um, The first one that we're going to look at is Galatians 5. And we're going to look at two verses, verses 22 and 23. Anybody want to read that? Chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Fire away. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay. So, first one. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you plant, like when I was a kid, we had lime trees and key lime trees and grapefruit trees, and never did you ever see that fruit on that tree. You know what I mean? Because a particular kind of tree produces a particular kind of fruit, right? And in this particular text, what Paul is saying is that the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, Right? We believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit has fruit by which He is known. And those things are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no, what does it say? Law. In other words, there's no law that can be created that combats things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Who would ever write a law against such things? Can't cancel those things out. But the point that I want you to make, that I want to make and that I want you to hear is this. These qualities are God's qualities. It's not the fruit of man. It's not the fruit of grandma. It's the fruit of whom? The spirit. The fruit of God. So if the Spirit of God is present in our life, then the fruit that should evidence those things is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what's that second to last one? The penultimate, to use a word I don't get to use very often. Self, sorry. Gentleness. (laughs) Gentleness. So when the Spirit of God is present in our lives and in the lives of the church and in the lives of other Christians, one of the qualities that manifests itself by virtue of the presence of the Spirit of God is gentleness. How about Colossians chapter 3? Who's got that? Colossians 3, 12. 
Colossians 3.12. Ready? Go. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Okay. Now, the ESV reads it like this. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, same thing as the loved ones of God, beloved, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, just like Jonathan read, and patience. If you have an NIV, meekness is not there. The word meekness is translated gentleness. In the NIV, in the Christian Standard Bible, in the New Living Translation, and in the Good News Translation, all of those translations choose to translate this word meekness as gentleness. Now, sometimes this happens. Sometimes we read in our favorite version, mine is the ESV, a particular word, and we pick up an NIV or another translation, and we see that that word isn't as it is in the other translation. It's different. Now, meekness and gentleness are not at odds with each other. But Jerry Bridges mentioned something, and rightly so, I think, about the difference between gentleness and meekness. He says this, Gentleness is an active trait describing the manner in which we should treat others. Meekness is a passive trait describing the proper Christian response when others mistreat us. So gentleness is active, but meekness is passive. In other words, if you're meek, then you don't have a retaliatory attitude. You're not combative. You're being meek. Now, just a quick note um, on what we were talking, what I was just talking about a moment ago in regards to translations. In our church, we use the ESV. People use different translations because they like it. They've had it for a long time. It's readable. Whatever the case might be. Some people use the King James version, like Tom Vassell. He will never be broken from the King James version because he was abused as a child. So that that King James Version is part of his personhood now. I'm just kidding. Um, I love the King James Version. So does Tom. But Tom also knows as much as he loves it, the Word of God and the good news of what God has for people is in different translations. The translations aren't inspired. The The autographs or the original documents were inspired. What we have is a translation that we believe God protected through time. How do we believe that? What distinguishes us, for example, from Mormons? What distinguishes us is we have thousands and thousands and thousands of manuscripts that prove to us the accuracy of what we're reading today. Anybody ever heard of Aristotle? I'm a fan of Aristotle. I have a lot of Aristotle's works. Aristotle, in comparison to the New Testament, is like night and day. It's like black and white. Aristotle's evidence for his writings is paper thin compared to the mountain of evidence there is historically for the verifiability and the truthfulness of the New Testament. So when we read the Bible, we're reading an extremely reliable, extremely trustworthy historical document. But you might be using a New Living Translation. I might be using the ESV, you might be using the King James, 
you might be using the Good News translation. They use different words, but the message is always the same. Does that make sense? Part of the reason there are so many different translations today is because we have fallen off the wagon as a reading culture. It used to be that entertainment was reading. It used to be that education was reading. It used to be that stories were a pastime. We don't read like that anymore. Everything, in, in fact, like if the New York Times puts out an article, they'll put what they really want to tell you like three paragraphs down because they know you're not going to make it. You read the headlines, you read the first six sentences, and you're off to the next article. And what they really wanted you not to see, but they were obligated to say, they just tucked down like in that fourth paragraph. That's the way it works. Why? Because we don't read like we used to. Now, as you read, you start with, for example, the New Living Translation. You say, this is so readable and I enjoy it. And, and I don't blame you. But what happens as you come to church and you sit under my preaching, you start to go, this is like light beer. I need something a little heavier. So you put the New Living Translation on the nightstand and you go get an ESV. Now it's a stricter translation. It's more word for word instead of thought for thought. So it might seem a little more rigid or demanding, but you're getting a better read. Does that make sense? So when we go through translations and I say, what's the NIV say? And they go, oh, the NIV says uh, gentleness. What's the ESV say? Oh, it says meekness. Don't sit there and go, oh my God, it's a cult. It's not, we're not a cult. The Mormons are a cult. We are not a cult. There are a large set of circumstances that distinguish us from cults. One of them is all of the translations that we read say the same thing. They just might use different vocabulary because they're coming from the same documents that if you want to do some learning linguistically in Greek and Hebrew, you can do it and read them yourself. But you can't find the documents that the Book of Mormon is based upon because they don't exist. This is how cults work. Okay? So, in case you have Mormonism in your family or you're fleeing Mormonism, welcome to Christianity. Okay. Gentleness and meekness are very closely related, but they are not the same. I went to college with this big black dude, 6'4", yoked, and just an awesome, awesome guy. And he used to wear this shirt, and it should have been a large, but it was like a medium. And it said, don't mistake my meekness for weakness. That's that means he's going around in a non-retaliatory or non-combative way, right? He is kind of passive in the way that he was dealing with people or they were dealing with him. Gentleness is a little different in that gentleness is about being active. It's not, it's not about passively receiving some ill treatment and not retaliating. It's about actively pursuing people or situations in which you can be not harsh, but what's the word? Gentle. Okay, so here are our questions for tonight. Number one, as the chapter begins, Bridges likens gentleness to meekness, but also says that they're different. 
How does bridges distinguish the two? All right, we've already been over this. Somebody help me out. Active and passive, which is active? Gentleness is active. By the way, what's it mean to be passive? Defensive, okay. Your posture is defensive, okay. All right, anybody else? I think sometimes we use these words and we go, I don't even know what that means. How's that example? Hang on, hang on. Passive is uh, things happen to you as opposed to you doing a thing that is an active okay. uh, uh, role. Great. Okay. Another example, a mother is gentle with her baby. Okay. Kindness, I can be with a stranger. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily gentle with the stranger. Mm -hmm. Like I said, that's an active thing where the mother is active with the baby. Right. But kindness, I could be kind to a complete stranger, somebody mm -hmm. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anybody else? Lorena, was that your hand? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That doesn't necessarily make you a winner, though, does it? You know, like, I have daughters, I don't have sons, but if you, if you sit under my preaching for any amount of time, you know that I have a particular perspective on masculinity. I'm not a huge fan of passive men. I think men need to be pursuers. I think they need to be providers. I think they need to be people with passion. I think they need to have vision, not only for themselves, because it is not attractive to, have, to see a visionless man, but also for their family and for their career and for their children, etc. I think that's attractive. I don't think it's attractive to see a man who goes, I don't know what I'll do today. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll get a job. Maybe I won't get a job. Or maybe, you know, hey, you want to do some overtime? I don't think so. I don't, that's not attractive to me. That's a passive way of living life. Life is happening to them. I think one of the things that is making our country go the direction that it is, which is a direction of weakness, is the passivity that we've allowed to be inserted into the idea of masculinity. It's robbing us of the backbone that has made us what we are. I can't imagine like a John D. Rockefeller today. Craziness. But we're continuing to do what Paul says in Ephesians. We're redeeming the time. We might not be able to change the world, but with God's help, we can change ourselves and we can change our family, right? Oh, I'm not so interested in saving the hundreds we don't have contact with. I'm interested in saving the ones we do have contact with. So we're not sitting idly by and letting things happen to us. We are looking for opportunities to be active. So not passive, but active. So good points and thanks for those answers. Number two, according to Bridges, who is our example of gentleness, share a verse that Bridges uses in support of this point. Anybody get this one? Is that like Sunday school? You're like, I'm going to, I'm just going to guess here and just say, Jesus is Jesus. The answer. Yeah. Okay. No, that's right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. There's a verse that goes with it, which is an incredible verse. 
In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And that verse means nothing to an eight-year-old, maybe not even to a 16-year-old. You've got to go around the block a few times. You've got to make your mistakes. You've got to have a fight with your wife. You've got to have your kids say, I hate you and I don't want to live here anymore. And then you go to Jesus and he says, come to me, you who labor and, you're he and are heavy laden. And you go, Jesus is amazing. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Which is, you know what a yoke is, right? It's what animals have around, put around their neck. It's the, the life that they live. It's the burden that they carry. And he says, because my burden is light and I am gentle. Isn't that amazing? One of the only self-described verses that we have of Jesus, he says to us that he's what? He's gentle. I think that's... I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing because Jesus had the power to heal the blind and to raise the dead. But when he called people to follow him, he didn't do the Kung Fu Panda thing like, it's awesomeness, you know, I'm full of awesomeness. He didn't do that. He said, if you follow me, you can because I'm lowly and I'm gentle. I don't know how that makes you feel, but I'm intrigued and I am like inspired to follow him because he has basically said in so many words, if you follow me in faith, you're not going to be condemned. I'm not going to shut you out because I'm lowly and I'm gentle. What do you think? What's that in, lead you to think about, inspire you to think about? Nothing at all or a lot of things, or does it lead to a question? Do we assume Jesus is gentle? Let me rephrase it. Do you assume that Jesus is gentle? No. Who says no? Jay. I know it. You know he's gentle. Yeah. Okay. How do you know he's gentle? So Jay is basing his understanding of Jesus on his learning and his reading. What else can we base our thought of Jesus on other than reading and learning? Which is 100% correct, by the way. I don't think he's gentle. You don't think he's gentle? Okay. Okay. That's definitely an angle to it. Adrena, were you raising your hand? Yeah, I was just going to say that I think that we 
Okay. Tell me your name. Um, Yelenis. Yelenis. You bring up a really good point. Here, here's a little story. This woman comes to Jesus, okay? And it could have been a man. In situations, in historical situations, historical situations that we see, for example, in the culture and time of Jesus, the women are always the bad guys, okay? But a promiscuous man is just as wrong as a promiscuous woman. Okay, so we're not going to do the double standard thing here. We do it in society. You know, if a woman is promiscuous, she's a slut. And, uh, but if a man does it, he's a gigolo. And, a, you know, he's got cool names. You know, that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. When the woman who was condemned publicly and socially ridiculed came to Jesus, but came to Jesus in faith, he didn't throw a rock at her and he didn't give her a lecture. He said, your faith has made you whole. Go and sin no more. You see the order there? He didn't say, go and sin no more and your faith will make you whole. He said, your faith has made you whole. Go and sin no more. Which in a life that is hard and full of challenges and ugliness, how did Jesus receive her? Gently. He didn't judge her. He wasn't critical. He wasn't harsh. It's not to say he didn't speak against sin. It's not to say he didn't say, this is wrong and let me tell you why. Jesus did what he had to do at the appropriate time. What we have a tendency to do is preach to the choir, right? When sinners act like sinners, we want to look down on them because we think they should be acting like 15-year veterans of Christianity. But isn't that kind of stupid? We should expect sinners to act like sinners, and we should expect 15-year 15 15 year veterans of Christ to act like mature Christians. Now we're, now we're in an argument. Because some people in church are way behind. And the sinners are acting like sinners. That's what sinners do. Am I right? But when it comes to leading people to Jesus, if someone comes in faith, we don't hand them a list of, you know, a to-do list of 15 things to say, you got to dress like this, you got to talk like this, you got to cut your hair like that, you got... Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Go and sin no more. That's gentleness. Life is hard. And God does, in his plan, allow difficult circumstances to come our way. But the difficult circumstances and the challenges of life don't make Jesus non-gentle. So, interesting point. I'm glad you brought it up. Jay? I would, no, I was just going to expand a little bit. Basically what you said, I, I, I believe that Jesus is in fact gentle, but he's not going to take any crap from anybody. This is, this is right, this is wrong. He didn't. But that's yeah. what I'm saying. He, yeah. they're, they're, I don't want to say his meat bone in his body, but I'm just saying he can say, look, no. This is, this is wrong. You're being foolish. You're being stupid. You are. Which okay. is why I think it's important 
we have a command of the ideas in this book because we have a tendency to understand um, standing firm on an issue with being harsh and forward and ugly because that's the only way people know how to be today. The only way people know how to be today is harsh and forward and ugly. We have people in our family, just like you have people in your family. If anything comes down the pike, politically, culturally, socially, it's like suddenly they, you know, have four degrees in political science and they know everything about everything. And their comment to you is you're uneducated. You need to go educate yourself. Um, we can be ugly. Ugly and firm are not the same thing. Jesus was always firm. But Jesus was not ugly. And there's, there's, a, there's a grace there, uh, even in circumstances that were difficult. And if Jesus was ever that guy, like you say, Jay, who didn't take crap, if Jesus was ever that guy, it was against the people that we would have a lot of respect for today, which is kind of troubling, right? We, they were called Pharisees. It would be like somebody, like a priest in, the, in his suit with the collar. Jesus pointed at them and said, you guys are not in the faith. I'm not saying if somebody is a priest, they aren't Christians. I'm saying they were only concerned with the outside of things. And when they dealt with people, they were extremely harsh, extremely critical. In fact, in one episode, when Jesus was dealing with a woman who was a woman of the night, she was touching his feet, weeping on his feet, pouring perfume on his feet. She was worshiping him. And the guy, Simon, whose house he was at, he leaned over to his buddy and he said, if he was a prophet, then he would know what kind of woman is touching him. That's how they dealt with people. But Jesus said, when I came in, you did not offer me water to wash my face. And you did not kiss me with a greeting, but she has washed my feet with her tears and she has kissed me in worship. Now, which one do you want to be? You want to be the redeemed person living with the gentle Jesus, or you want to be the guy who's socially acceptable, but outside of the grace of God. That's kind of where gentleness lands. It's not an absence of conviction. It's a way of conveying the convictions that aren't ugly and coarse and difficult to swallow. You know what I mean? Let's go to the next one. Number three. Three? Oh, yeah. I'm going slow today. What are the three ways we can treat others gentle? I say treat others gentle because that's the title of the section, I think. Oh, <laughs> my bad. Should be adverb. Gently. Three way. Sorry. Be patient we can be patient with them. Yep. That's actually the first one, more or less. Like when you speak to people, speak to them in a way that puts them at ease. Yeah. There's two other ways. I wasn't wildly excited about this section, but. I think I think the second one is important too. He says. The second one, uh, he says, uh, like, 
treat treat that person with dignity. You know, have you have you guys seen um, recently a, a Japanese filmmaker went down um, a heroin alley and was making a documentary? I mean, you don't even have to watch the documentary. You just go over to Homestead Avenue. I mean, have you seen the condition of some of these people? It's so sad. And we want to know, like, what decision did you make to land yourself here? Or the guy in the, you know, obviously he's a diabetic. He's short, one foot. He's in a wheelchair. He was over there for a long time. Now he's at a gas station near our house. These are sad situations. And we want to go, that dude must have been doing some bad stuff to land there. Or we see a woman and we're like, obviously. But what was done to them, I wonder? And regardless of whether something was done to them, or they made decisions that led them inevitably to this dead end. You know what is still true? It is still true that they are human beings made in the image and likeness of God. To God, they're not throwaways. To God, they're still responsible and accountable, and they will answer, and they need to be forgiven, and the whole nine yards. But that's not your job, and that's not my job. Our job under this idea of gentleness is to treat people that are sometimes difficult to treat that way with gentleness. Sometimes um, I'll do the roll the window down and have a conversation with people. and My kids love it. Not. Because, you know, a 17 and 15-year-old girl, the last thing on their mind when there is a guy looking as dilapidated and run down as this guy is to roll down the window and have a conversation with him. So I don't always do this. I'm not breaking my arm to pat myself on the back here. But often I will roll down the window and I'll say, what's your name? Shake their hand. I carry sanitizer in my truck. And you'd be surprised how disarming that is for these people. How few, I know, I know you're going, oh, I wonder how, many, how much money he makes in a week, just standing on the corner. It really doesn't matter how much they make in a week. You know you don't want that life, right? But we do it, don't we? So I'll roll down the window, I'll have a short conversation. Hey man, what's your name? Anything I can pray for you about. And what's strange is how often there is positive reception to these kinds of things. There's a lot of people out there who God has not disappointed, but God's people have disappointed. And the lack of gentleness doesn't help. The third thing that he says is, we can be helpful rather than judgmental or critical, which follows right in line with the dignified thing, right? Um, has anybody, this is the fourth one, I'm just going to go straight to it. Has anybody done something and said, yeah, I want a do-over because you failed to be gentle in that moment? 
Spill the beans. I want the laundry. Let's go. Everybody's perfect. Speak to me, Lorena. In what way? It's like. Yeah. Right. Right. Anybody can relate to that? You better put your hand up. Uh, we don't do perfect here. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Continue. <laughs> I guess that they should know it. It's yeah. simple. They should know it. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to explain to them, and they, I just can't take it. Anymore. And you get exasperated. Yeah. And you fail to be gentle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do that too. Yeah. Especially with my kids when I'm trying to teach them something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the kids is an easy one. Because you can apologize to your kids. You know why? Because when you apologize to your kids, you're still the authority. I want you to learn how to repent and apologize to someone who is your peer in public. Then you know repentance. If you haven't stood in front of a group of people and said, 
Vicente, I blew it the other day. I apologize. I was not gentle. I'm working on it. I took it out on you, but it's on me. I hope that you'll forgive me. You have no idea what we're talking about. Because that's a different game. If you haven't apologized to appear in public, at work, at home, at church, whatever the case is, you still haven't put yourself in that area of vulnerability that tests how you really believe the faithfulness and forgiveness of God works in your life. Because you know there's a possibility that when I go, Vicente, X, Y, and Z, Vicente goes, I'm not your friend anymore. And I never want to talk to you again. You're a fat jerk. Done. <laughs> Slam the door and that's it. But my hope is that as Jesus has forgiven us, I will ask for forgiveness and Vicente will remember what Jesus has done in his life and he will extend that forgiveness to me. Now, take that junk to your kitchen at three in the morning. It's a different conversation. Take it to your kids at five o'clock in the afternoon when they come home with drama and you don't want to hear the drama. It's a different conversation. See, we like to take these things that we learn about and go home and do it where we can't fail. You know what I mean? This is what our kids do. Our kids come home and they kick us and yell at us and say mean things to us because they know we're going to pay their cell phone bill, put a plate of food on the thing and give them gas money. Right or wrong? But if you try that junk with me, you come in my office and you yell at Patty and slam my door and say, your sermon stunk. That's different. That's different. But we have a tendency to become superficial in areas of life that really matter. Now, I'm not proud to say this, but I am proud to know the Jesus who loves me. I have put myself in some situations where I have not been proud, where I have had to apologize, uh, where I have had to say, I dropped the ball. And ask in a very vulnerable situation for an alpha male, like leader, high D personality like mine is very vexing. But it's the right thing to do. It's what Jesus has done with me, and I can't handle someone looking at me to get the wrong idea of Jesus. But I got news for you. There's people looking at you like that, too. We have 20-something people here uh, every single day. Under my, what's that? Oh, no, I mean employment-wise. That I'm responsible for. And um, I get like that sometimes. Because I do have an idea and go, this would have been great yesterday. And then I'm like, let's hurry up and get it done today. And not everybody is made of the same cloth here. And I have sometimes rubbed the soft ones wrong. 
when that would have been fine with whoever else. And I've had to say, hey, I was hard yesterday. I apologize. I hope that you'll forgive me. Now, I don't know how many bosses that you have would do something like that. But we're not only doing employment here. We're doing Jesus here. So it's important to me that I know our people are not only being challenged and growing, but they're seeing that there's more to employment on this campus than employment. There's grace here. There's gratitude here. There's, there's excitement here. There's positivity here. The culture that we're working on creating here in the last couple of years has radically changed and we're continuing to see the positivity unfold from it because we're committed to doing it his way, not our way, which means sometimes we got to put ourselves in a pretty vulnerable position. Might not be comfortable, but it's right. And gentleness, when it comes to looking back and going, I want to do over. I think we all can relate to that. But here's my question for you. How many times is it going to take for you to improve? Who is going to be in charge of your life? Are you in charge of your life? Or are you letting God have charge of your life? If you're, if you're taking charge of your life, you're like, hang on, God, I got this one. Right? Just hang on a second. There's some things they need to hear. I got this one covered. And then we go, we rattle down the list. We don't listen to what this, you know, we just wanted you to listen. We shake and then we go. And then it's like, I'm never going to talk to you again about any of that stuff. Whereas, Lord, I'm not in charge of this. You're in charge of this. How would you have me respond? to someone who's made in your image and likeness, someone who you love, whether or not I agree with them, whether or not I see their life as a life that I would live, help me to be gentle like Jesus was gentle. Not spineless, not convictionless, not brainless, but gentle. Last one. Uh, let's see. Oh, it's 8.05. Okay, we won't do that one. I'm trying to respect your time. I want you to come back next week. So. All right. Um, any questions or comments? Okay, good. Um, next week, uh, we'll pick up with the next chapter. I send the questions out by Friday.